the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, we do so as we do every Friday with George Kaloff. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital, one of the keenest uh, political minds and best political consultants I know. George, welcome back. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing just fine. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, before we get into some election issues and trends and thoughts uh, to throw back and forth, uh, any kind of interesting updates you're seeing here in Arizona as far as ballot returns, uh, what we can discern from those returns, any kinds of good news or concerning news that you're seeing, trends? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of uh, main things to look at. Throughout this week, our firm has released some polling numbers that all show strong momentum for Republicans, good. show strong momentum for Kerry Lake, for some down-ballot Republicans. Uh, it is uh, pretty clear that Arizona is seeing what we're seeing across the country, which is a resurgence of Republican uh, voter enthusiasm uh-huh. and a tightening, which you and I talked about, and it is to be expected, even though there were some naysayers that said it wasn't going to happen, a tightening of the numbers uh, with independents. And so it was in prior polling a couple months ago, uh, Republicans were not doing as well with independent voters. That is now shifting. So the first bit of sort of good news is that the polling is very positive for Republicans. That that is to say, the independents seem to be moving uh, by uh, by by a majority or plurality toward the Republicans. Exactly, okay. exactly. And mm-hmm. even if there is a uh, loss there with yeah. Republicans, yeah. Um, the numbers as we had expected are going to tighten big time. And that's why I've said, you know, pretty publicly uh, at this point, I think it is uh, very probable that we could have a statewide Republican sweep. Who knows? Maybe there is a surprise down ballot. But, you know, we we feel like the trajectory is that Carrie Lake wins by five or six percent. And if Carrie Lynn wins by five or six percent, that means that Blake Masters likely wins by, you know, one and a half to three percent. Okay. He is typically about three or four behind her. And then it means that most of the down ballot, if not all the down ballot Republicans. Uh, will win. Sorry, so to interrupt. Big... Sorry to interrupt. Let me ask you something else about those two races, if you don't mind, George, uh, off the top of your head. Are undecideds uh, still uh, – what are what are rough contours, rough numbers of the undecideds in both races, or are they about the same? So it's about mid-single digits, which yeah. means that usually we may have a couple more percent, but yeah. we'll have a 2 or 3% undervote. So uh-huh. some of those people just won't. Yeah, they you know, they won't show up and yeah. vote. Yeah. Now, I will say, our polling, and this is interesting, which we don't need to get down this rabbit trail today, our polling is showing about 3% of people who are refusing, uh, and we believe, and there's been a lot of chatter in the polling world, that part of the quote-unquote underrepresentation of Republicans are people that are not willing to give their opinion. Mm-hmm. So they'll fill out some of the surveys, but then they'll say refused for, um, you know, for some questions. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I think we're looking at. But in general, undecided refusal, all, both categories combined, are in the single digits total, right. uh, which means that the races are pretty, the contours of the race are pretty much set at this point. Uh, okay. You know, we're, we're picking around the edges. Okay. Sorry to interrupt on those questions. Sorry. Go right ahead. No, no, no. No, absolutely. And then the second, you know, big point, and this is something that is very, um, it is very important to note. I know that there's a lot of articles that have come out, you know, in the last 48 hours. Oh, we don't read, you know, we shouldn't read too much into early voting. But candidly, 
when you place it in its proper perspective, it is actually very indicative, particularly when you don't look at it just as this year. You look at it as trends. And so around the country, we are seeing record-breaking turnout mm. with early balloting. Mm. In Florida, Texas, Georgia uh, in particular, we're seeing big numbers. And in Arizona, we're not. Uh, we are still about 9% under uh, same time in 2018, so the last comparative midterm year. So we are lagging in total ballot return by about 8%. What That's do you think What do you think explains that a lot of people would rather vote on Election Day or something like that? Maybe? 100%. Yeah. Republican. Yeah. There's actually more Democrats compared to same day. Yeah. There's just a lot less Republicans, uh-huh. and, so, uh-huh. uh, and there's actually less independents. Uh-huh. The way that Democrats believe they would win this year is that they would win over um, more Republicans than usual, but mainly it wasn't Republicans. It was that they needed to win a big majority of independents, and they needed a lot more independents than usual to vote. We're not seeing that play out in the numbers. We believe that there are a significant number of likely Republican voters left, mm-hmm. but Democrats are starting to uh, not get to the end, but they have uh, they have voted a lot of their likely voters. And their advantage is not where they needed it to be going into the final week of early voting, which is going to be big for Republicans, and going into Election Day, which is going to be majorly big for, for yeah. Republicans. I mean, yeah. Republicans are probably going to be two to one, three to one across the state on Election Day. Okay, so uh, all, all of which is good news except possibly this part of it. Does that mean necessarily then we may not have results Tuesday night, much less Wednesday morning, or Wednesday mo- think, morning, much less Tuesday night? I think most races will probably be known, but it's going to be very early in the morning on Wednesday, so we're talking probably one, two o'clock in the morning. Okay. I think there has been enough of a concerted effort um, because the order in which ballots uh, get counted for those listeners that don't know is at 8 p.m. on election night, all the early ballots that were mailed through the Friday before Election Day. They're the ones that get counted. Mm-hmm. Um, then Election Day votes start to get reported mm-hmm. starting at about 930 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then they start intermixing early ballots that were processed from Saturday to Tuesday. Mm-hmm. The only type of ballots that don't get counted or the ballots that were dropped off early on, uh, sorry, they were uh, their early ballots that were dropped off on Election Day. Right. But, right. And there could be hundreds of thousands of them, and there likely will be, but this is the important thing to know. At this point, we have two election cycles in a row that show that those ballots are going to be strong for Republicans. So I believe any race that is close is going to be pretty clear that the margins for Republicans are going to continue to grow. So I think a lot of races will be called because of those dynamics. But obviously, that's something that we're going to be watching very diligently on election night to kind of give our forecast as we see returns start to come in. Fascinating. Now, this may be a bit of a uh, of a of a of a preface to to a larger question you and I have been kind of wrestling with over the last several visits here. But is it possible that some of these trend lines towards Republicans, some of this polling showing Republican support increasing is kind of something we talk about and kind of maybe don't connect the dots on, which is that People don't start paying attention till the end. They're not paying attention. A lot of people will say, most people, you know, you and I do, but and audiences like this do, but, you know, most people 
don't start getting serious about this stuff till after Labor Day and then even even further along as it gets to November. Is it possible that as the people are becoming more and more aware of the election and they're being inundated more and more with ads, they're doing a little bit more of their homework and research and saying, holy cow, Katie Hobbs believes that or holy cow, Mark Kelly's saying that is is that does that explain some of the trend towards Republicans? Maybe, maybe. I believe so. I believe so. We we know that voters, I mean, Labor Day, for all intents and purposes, is the start of the election season. And people say, but George, yeah. campaigns yeah. you know, started as early yeah. as June of last year. That's true. Yeah. But truly, truly, voters don't pay attention. The majority of voters don't pay attention until about Labor Day. And then people really, really don't pay attention until early voting starts, which was only two weeks ago in Arizona and was you know, a handful of days ago in other states. And so I do believe that is a part of it, Seth. And I do think that there was a a gamble that was made by uh, the left that the economy was going to get better, that some of these cultural issues, and I think cultural issues, I don't think they thought it was going to get better. I just think that they have the complete wrong focus on it, which we can talk about today. But I think mainly they thought the economy was going to get better, and candidly, it's gotten worse. <laughs> and so they didn't have the reprieve that they needed by Labor Day, and that's showing in uh, Biden's approval numbers, and it's showing in a lot of the polling that we're seeing. So I think it is a, a bit of a of all of the above, but because the dynamics of the country are not any better today, people are starting to do more research and they're realizing, holy smokes, there's a certain party that's in leadership that has caused these things to occur, yeah. and I think people are going to vote accordingly. And we're, I mean, I'm telling you, we're going to see surprises. I think there is a chance we could, the Republicans could win a Senate seat in Nevada, a Senate seat in Pennsylvania, a Senate seat in Georgia, and in Arizona. And that was not even on the table or highly unlikely four months ago. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen, but it could. Yeah, I am hearing more and more people talk like that, saying, so what does that mean? That's a 54-seat majority in the Senate, something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's folks talking about a 53-47 majority, Mm -hmm. which that was off the table uh, until maybe two weeks ago. That's right. That's right. And so, uh, again, not not wanting to go too far out, but we're now speculating about how big the win will be in the Senate as opposed to whether we take the Senate. That's that's pretty incredible, right? Oh, it is. It's a big change from even uh, one month ago. You put your finger on the uh, on the hot wire for 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 your and my thinking in this show. You said the Democrats you think may have gambled or had the wrong view on culture issues. Can we take the commercial break and pick up on that when we come right back? Let's do it. Thank you. George Kaloff is our guest. He is the uh, managing uh, partner at the Resolute Group based here in Phoenix and the president of Data Orbital. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff is our guest. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group, president of Data Orbital, and uh, we're talking polls and we're talking election. George, you had made a um, you you had said earlier that you think on the cultural issues or what sometimes people call it's the culture war issues that the Democrats um, they may have misplayed it or they may have had the wrong view of the cultural issues. Uh, talk to us about that. We have spent a lot of time uh, together talking about how since the fumbled and horrific pullout of Afghanistan that um, Biden did last year, Mm -hmm. that about every month or two, there's a new flavor of anger Mm -hmm. from the left. Mm -hmm. 
and they finally landed on, it was off again, on again, they finally landed on abortion, and they felt like that was going to be their ticket to victory. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, we have unpacked it on the show, the polling does not back that up. Mm-hmm. The country and our state here in particular in Arizona, and it's true of a number of places where you've done work, um, the country is actually much farther away from their extreme position, which is abortion until demand, for example, than our quote-unquote extreme position of um, of uh, you know being pro-life and a ban at conception, so to speak. But that also applies on a whole myriad of things. Mm-hmm. And I believe, unlike the economy, where the Democrats, I think, just you know, did, you know, either didn't know what to do with it, or inflation's once in the, you know the last time it happened was four you know decades ago. There's not a lot of people in power on culture. They knew exactly what they were doing. They just made the wrong move. They believed that they could invoke outrage from the people that would be bigger and more intense than the outrage that people felt against their leadership and their handling of the economy. And I think not only did they misread it, they are not even in the same planet of the impact. And I actually think America and Americans and Arizonans are more in line with the cultural positions of the Republican Party and of the conservative movement of tomorrow than they are of the progressive uh, movement of tomorrow. Yes, that's. I think that's. I think that's really well put, George, and well observed. Uh, part of it is when they lie about it, you know that there's something that there's an old line from the movie Psycho, which took place in Phoenix. I don't know if people remember that the old Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho. At least it starts in Phoenix. Old line from a cop there: if it doesn't gel, it ain't aspic. That is to say, if they have to lie about it, it. Well, I'm saying if they have to lie about it. It must mean that there's something underlying the, the the lie that is to say the truth that doesn't help them. So they tell us that the Dobbs decision um, overturns and restricts and bans abortion in the United States of America. The Republicans stand for banning abortion. That was the lie. It turns out when you poll and you explain what was at stake in the Dobbs decision and what the law that was passed, what, about a year ago or signed about a year ago in Arizona – does is you you have abortion rights up into the second trimester. Uh, most Americans say may, may, maybe maybe you should have them all the way through the first, but the notion that we go into the second, we're we're getting pretty far down the line at this point, right? I mean, most Americans once they understand that, they realize, oh, okay, and then states can make decisions around that. It's not a ban. When the Democrats had to lie about this, you knew something was wrong with what they were going to try and do with regard to public opinion on this. One hundred percent. And let's go also to a state that you and I talk a lot about, Florida. I saw a statistic today, and this is going to be, and again, maybe we are now reading too much into early voting, but it's an important statistic to note because there was a trend line from the 2020 general, and we'll see if it holds here. Miami-Dade County, a county that is um, heavily Cuban, heavily Democratic. Uh, a lot of there's a good chunk of an African American population as well. Has always solidly voted for Democrats for president, somewhere in the you know by a thirty to forty percent margin. And in 2020, they only went for Biden by a seven percent margin. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's early voting, mm-hmm. and we know the habits of Republicans with early voting. There's a lot of Republicans that are not voting early, even with that factor. Democrats only have a three and a half percent ballot advantage right now through early voting in person and by mail. Interesting. And I'm bringing this up in response to your comment on culture. Why? Because if right. there's any state that has weighted more into cultural issues, it is the state of Florida right. because of Governor DeSantis. Right, right, right. And we're right. going to see the impact electorally, I believe, particularly with Hispanic. I really believe 
we are going to see some surprises. There are going to be some districts that don't go Republican way, that are heavily white, heavily college-educated, heavily socioeconomically affluent in suburbs. And they're going to go for Democrats. And they may even be held by Republicans and, and maybe, you know, Trump did decent in them. But we're going to see districts like Texas 34 with new Congresswoman Myra Flores and other districts in New York and Florida and Texas, Arizona, California, that go for Republicans that people were not anticipating because they look culturally diverse, because the Democratic Party of tomorrow is not applicable. It's not compartmentalizing in the minds of these minority communities that are either people of faith or just don't believe in the lunacy and the intensity of where the minority fringe part of the progressive movement in the Democratic Party is taking the party, and I believe they're going to revolt. I really do. I think we're going to see those surprises in Arizona and across the country. You know, it dawns on me, if, you're, uh, if your assessment, uh, and I agree with it, if, you, if our assessment uh, holds, it dawns on me that if you were to put the issue, I mean, I, I, I guess I... I, I I guess I don't want to invite all the ads and the kinds of things we're, we're so tired of. But if you were to put the issue of abortion to a referendum rather than to a state legislature, you might really surprise the Democrats with what those results show. Because you might see in a fair campaign on a referendum, you might see a lot of Democrats, and I'm particularly thinking about you know ethnic minority communities, shifting away from where the Democrats think they have a stronghold on this issue. Yes, that if, is that if. is to say, abortion could be more easily constrained, perhaps uh, restricted, perhaps by referendum than by legislature, where people don't have to vote by party line. Yes, yes. Now there is a big if and asterisk here because obviously there's Kansas in the rearview mirror yeah, where sure. um, it did not go the way sure. that the pro life community wanted because this is the big if. Um, we have to have enough resources yeah. and half enough. Um, I would say backbone, fight, oh, however yes, you want it, yes, yes, to take yes, it yes. to the other side. Again, yes. we have seen Carrie Lake do it in Arizona yeah. exceptionally well. Yeah. We have seen Governor DeSantis do it in Florida exceptionally well. We have examples and models of people that have taken the fight exactly where it needs to be. But if we don't, we won't win. No, yeah, no, I mean, you use the word exceptionally twice. That's exactly right. Yeah. These are exceptions. These are people who do it yeah. well. They are the exception. John Stewart yeah. Mills, Mills said any any system will work ill if you assume universal idiocy, and we have to assume that when it comes to <laughs> politics. <laughs> George, you're the best. Thank you, sir. I can't wait to our visit next week. We'll even um, we'll have and know even more by then. Brother, have a great weekend. Godspeed and God bless. Are you too, Seth? Thanks so much. Thank you. I am Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. You don't need commission salespeople to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. What you do need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. Midas Gold Group is the answer to all of those questions. The veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, they're fighting for your right to the financial privacy that gold offers. Trust the dealer that Seb Gorka, I, and thousands of you already trust and know, and that is the Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or give them a call at 480-360-3000, 480 360 
3000, another great veteran-owned and run company, sponsor of this show, Midas Gold Group. Um, yeah, this, um, this, this thesis I was playing around with with George, and I'll run it by Pete Peterson in the next hour, too. I was kind of unveiling it a little bit earlier in the week, yesterday and the day before, Wednesday, I guess, that it's not just the economy. It's a whole package of things that 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 should be, if they aren't already, animating voters. In some respects, it's hard for us to remember everything that makes us conservative or that makes us resist the the woke flood, the woke tide that has pulled us in and out of uh, common sense, mostly out. Um, it's things small and it's things large, of course, and easy to forget them, too. Easy to forget a lot of these things. There was this one story went by this week. It's emblematic of a larger one. Joe Biden was talking about uh, he was talking about a a piece of legislation. He's now supporting going after what they call junk fees Uh, with all the problems America has. Didn't 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 it give you comfort to know we're now going after junk fees, hidden fees that uh, people aren't necessarily aware of in the bills that they're getting? Um, One could read their bills. One could read what it is they're about to buy, I suppose. But he gave this talk um, where he said, quote, some airlines, if you want six more inches between you and the seat in front, you pay more money, but you don't know it. These are junk fees. They're unfair and they hit marginalized Americans the hardest, especially people of color. And at first, some of the commentary on that statement was, is Joe Biden saying that it's people of color who need more space on airline seats? And if so, isn't that a bit of a, shall we say, stereotype or prejudice that we're not supposed to engage in? But then the more you think about it, or if you watch this, the, the quote or, or, or read it a couple more times, you, you kind of led to the conclusion maybe he's not saying that at all. Um, maybe he just doesn't exactly know what he's saying, but does know you have to talk about hitting marginalized Americans the hardest and ending the sentence with these these shibboleths, these winks and nods, these code words like these junk fees are unfair and they hit marginalized Americans the hardest, especially people of color. I was remembering the uh, the first uh, the first financial unveiling that Joe Biden did. And we were trying to scour through what it is we were all spending the next trillion dollars on. And there was this phrase in there, tree equity. How do how do phrases like tree equity enter enter the, the public discourse, much less the United States federal budget? Someone puts it in. Is anyone going to sit there with a red pen and say, what the H is this? Why are we doing it? Why are we spending money on it? Why are we even thinking about it? And also, what is it? Um there seems to be this 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 necessity, this requirement to say things about moments that we live in that have nothing to do with anything. Why are we talking about junk fees hitting people of color or marginalized Americans the hardest? Why, in other words, with all the other things we've advanced in financially and everything else, why does it seem like all of a sudden 
we're more racist as a society or more bigoted or hitting marginalized Americans harder than ever before. And uh, let me pick up on that. Let me let me develop that thought with you in the next segment as I hear the music coming up. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're worried about stock market volatility, check out my friends and show sponsors at Y-Refi. They're offering an investment in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return that is not correlated to the stock market. It's all in a secure and collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors. And the investment can be an IRA, it can be a joint investment, it can be in a trust, it can be in an individual investment. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm made up of really great guys. I know them well, and they do really well by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com. Or give them a call at 855 316 3087. That's 855-316-3087. Eight seven never a sales pitch. They just like talking about what they do and letting it speak for itself. They leave the selling up to me, if you will. And so we talk about it here. Um, I was talking in the last segment about something that's just it should be baffling to political scientists. It should be baffling to sociologists. And yet we seem to just take it in the shorts and numbness and with an inurement that doesn't move us, which is for all the money we spend on everything uh, and for all the riches and richness this country has developed um, economically and uh, resource and technologically, all the access we have to education, um, not just the access to it, but um, seemingly the money we're putting into just that as well, put nearly a trillion dollars. Do you know that we put nearly a trillion dollars into our K-12 education system all in every year? That's not the Department of Education budget. I'm talking about all all, all money spent. And, and then you think about all the public uh, health and health care spending. You think about all the government uh, inducements when it comes to health care. Why is it our education scores are failing and falling? Why is it life expectancy is declining? Why why is it if you listen to at least, I don't know, half the country or half the country's politicians, maybe more actually, it seems like after everything we've gone through in in, in civil rights eras of the sixties, never mind all, all all that we went through before that and everything we've done since, why is it also true that we seem to be or there's a um there is an industry that seems to be pushing us to think that we are a more racist society than we've ever been. Uh, this after a two-term election of a black president, uh, an African-American president. This after having met almost every goalpost, if not every goalpost, that we in the civil rights or the, uh, the civil rights movement has been telling us would be symbols of great achievement. How, how is it we are now more racist doing less well educationally, uh, doing less well on health and life expectancy, but we are at more advancement than ever before. This should be driving political scientists and sociologists, perhaps even psychologists and psychiatrists, 
this should be driving them into 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 massive research. This this sounds like a a catastrophe, doesn't it? When you step back and think about it, well, there are um, a lot of explanations for it. On the life expectancy thing, I think uh, we can attribute uh, issues uh, having to do with obesity um, as part of it, as well as the drug crisis. Think about the drug crisis for a moment. Uh, yes, fentanyl is the big one we talk about these days. But, you know, every several years, every five to ten years, it's a new drug of concern. Uh, before fentanyl, um, it was it was meth. Um, before meth, it was crack cocaine. Before crack cocaine, it was cocaine. Before that, it was heroin. Now we're back with heroin, of course. We, we cycle through these things. But each one gets, it seems to me, progressively worse. Um, and, and, and when you look at the things, let, let's take life expectancy. Let's take um, education deficits. Let's look at the life expectancy one, obesity and drugs. That's, that's what's killing Americans at younger and, and driving our life expectancy down. Those two things more than anything else, uh, po- drug poisonings and an unhealthy lifestyle. Um, why, why is it that a government that was so concerned about COVID that it dominated our lives for two years, there wasn't a PSA, there wasn't a sentence you could speak to a friend or neighbor or enemy about that didn't involve COVID. Um, it was uh, revolutionarily used to shut down things we never thought could be shut down by government fiat, and we ex- and, and we accepted it, be it schools, be it churches and synagogues, or um, be it social and familial gatherings, be at work. All of these things we just bowed down to an industry of uh, public health concern over one thing, one thing, and it was COVID. Um, that, that is not what was responsible for the decline in education scores that we had up until 2020, and we weren't doing well until then. And it didn't explain the lowering of life expectancy that was going on up until 2020 either. It's that we weren't talking about those other issues. And we're still not. At least Democrats aren't. At least Democrats aren't. When did it become, how did it become politically incorrect to talk about obesity, but politically correct to punish the children in the name of COVID, which wasn't going to affect young people in the first place? In other words, we are ignoring again and again and again the major problems in order to soothe ourselves over the minor problems that that's that's certainly a part of it that's certainly a big part of it the big mystery and people ask us this all the time on this show why will the democrats not talk about the fentanyl issue why will they not talk about the obesity issue i think they're two different answers but both of them amount maybe to the same thing or end up in the same final chapter which is for them to address those issues is for them to address public policy failures that they themselves created. Okay, I get that. It doesn't mean we Republicans should shrink from it. In fact, I think we should hang it around their necks. And then if I can tie these last two points together, these last two segments together, 
Why is Joe Biden talking about junk fees and extra leg space mostly affecting people of color? Why are we talking about tree equity when we're not talking about, you know, the big problems I was just uh, outlining in the previous segment? And and it's it's two things. It's one um, when governments focus on the things that are not really in their constitutional purview at all, um, they neglect the things that they should be doing. They neglect the things that are right there in the preamble of our Constitution because they're being busybodies on everything else. That's one thing. Helps explain, I think, a little bit our education deficits and education scores, too. Uh, When we have ed schools cranking out teachers, um, not with great works of literature and love and knowledge of the great works of literature or how to teach and understand math the way other countries do it, a million times better than we do, but they're focusing their ed schools on, you know, woke nonsense and 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 how how to how to speak this 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 new argot that that's unfamiliar to everyone who doesn't have the secret code to it, uh, based on based on progressive Marxist notions of education that come out of books like the Pedagogy of the Oppressed, when we should be reading books on American and Western civilization and the core. Um, I I. I, that's that's why we're not getting good reading and math scores. We have students, as the head of the L.A. Teachers Union put it last year, we have students who 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 may not know how how to read and may not know how to count. But but they know what the word insurrection means. You know, I'm thinking we need a national assessment on wokeness. I'll run some of that by Pete Peterson as well. And the other thing is the rigidity of progressivism, which makes you just makes you just say these things that have perhaps no relation to that which you're talking about. Um, Vaclav Havel talks about the green grocer who who knows what his politics are. He may not even know what his politics are, but he knows damn well if he doesn't put workers of the world unite in his window, he'll get no customers and he might get a knock at midnight. You know what that means. We feel like we have to say these things. It's a It's a slinking into and a sinking into a very dangerous idea fix of progressive Marxism, which is not going to end well. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 